Mark your calendars and join all your ACB friends June 17th for the ACB Summer Auction. It's going to be a fun night of friends and fundraising for ACB. Some of our ACB leaders will be auctioning off items such as crafts, collectibles, jewelry, vacations, and food. It all gets underway at 7 p.m. Eastern on Zoom and ACB Media. But you can get a head start on all the fun with the Appetizer Auction June 15th and 16th. To find out more, get in touch with Leslie Spoon by emailing Leslie Spoon at CFL.RR.com. That's Leslie Spoon at CFL.RR.com. Get ready to get bidding at the ACB Summer Auction Saturday, June 17th at 7 p.m. Eastern on Zoom and ACB Media. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, everybody. My name is Jonathan Simeone. I want to welcome you to this episode of the Demand Our Access podcast. Today, we are discussing disability justice. Um, I want to apologize for the technical delays. Uh, as we all know, sometimes these things happen. Um, so we're sorry about that, and uh, we're glad you're here to listen. Um, in order to save time uh, for questions, I'm going to say a lot of the things I usually say at the end up front, um, and then we'll just play the recording, and then hopefully we'll have a Q&A and discussion session after the um, recorded portion is played. So the few announcements, uh, the next episode will be, uh, in two weeks, June 17th. We're going to be discussing, uh, looks like the web content accessibility guidelines. Uh, Desiree and I are actually getting married on June 30th and the first, uh, the first week in July is probably going to be ACB convention stuff. So the Demand Our Access podcast will not be airing in July. Um, so we will have uh, one podcast on June 17th and then again on August 5th. Um, again, today we're discussing um, disability justice. Uh, I want to thank Herbie and Brad for working with me today and helping me get this on and helping overcome the technical challenges and with that, I'm going to mute myself, and we will begin the recorded portion of the presentation, which is about 21 minutes or so. Um, I'm not going to stop for any breaks since it's not really technical stuff, and we'll do a Q&A slash discussion at the end. Simeone has started screen sharing. You are viewing Jonathan Simeon's screen. Disability Justice Introduction it is impossible to discuss disability justice without referencing American politics and American history. People have very different views of many aspects of American politics. Most people don't really know American history, so it will be impossible to discuss disability justice in a meaningful way and not make some folks feel uncomfortable. I say that to preface the truth that much of what I'm sharing here is my personal opinion. I have strong reasons for having the opinions I have, but 
I appreciate and recognize that some people will disagree with me. Even if you disagree with me, I hope you will listen to me, not simply hear what I'm saying. To help you, even if you disagree, understand why I have the views I have, I'm going to share a bit about myself throughout this episode. Important Facts About Me I want to share a few things about me so I can refer to them later. As I hope most of you know, I was born blind. I'm a white male. I'm 49 years old. I grew up in a middle-class home. I graduated from college and law school. I'm a lawyer by trade. I'm a homeowner. I earn a solid middle-class salary. As a person with a disability, I face discrimination and oppression on a daily basis. As a white male, I am privileged on a daily basis. As a well-educated member of the middle class, I'm privileged on a daily basis. As a heterosexual male, I'm privileged on a daily basis. Disability Justice The ten principles of disability justice were created in 2005 by a group called Sins Invalid. Here is a little of how Sins Invalid is described on their website. Sins Invalid is a disability justice-based performance project that incubates and celebrates artists with disabilities, centralizing artists of color and GLBTQ plus gender variant artists as communities who have been historically marginalized. Led by disabled people of color, Sins Invalid's performance work explores themes of sexuality, embodiment, the disabled body, developing provocative work where paradigms of quote normal and quote sexy are challenged, offering instead a vision of beauty and sexuality inclusive of all bodies and communities. There are now several versions of the ten principles of disability justice since they all present the same ideas, and to keep this a bit shorter, I have lightly edited the ten principles. The light editing I have done also means I have eliminated a lot of explanatory information so I can cover it a bit differently or to save time. The Ten Principles of Disability Justice are as follows. 1. Intersectionality. We are all many things, and they all impact us. 2. Leadership of people those impacted. 
when we talk about ableism, racism, sexism, and more, we are led by those who most know these systems. 3. Anti-capitalist politic and an economy that sees land and humans as commodities of profit. We are anti-capitalists by the nature of having non-conforming bodies and or minds. 4. Commitment to cross-movement organizing. Shifting how social justice movements understand disability and contextualize ableism, disability justice lends itself to politics of alliance. 5. Recognizing wholeness. People have inherent worth outside of commodity relations and capitalist notions of productivity. Each person is full of history and life experience. 6. Sustainability. We pace ourselves, individually and collectively, to be sustained long term. Our embodied experiences guide us toward ongoing justice and liberation. 7. Commitment to cross-disability solidarity. We honor the insight and participation of all of our community members, knowing that isolation undermines collective liberation. 8. Interdependence. We meet each other's needs as we build toward liberation, knowing that state solutions inevitably extend into further control over lives. 9. Collective Access As brown, black, and queer-bodied disabled people, we bring flexibility and creative nuance that go beyond able-bodied and able-minded normativity to be in community with each other. 10. Collective Liberation No body or mind can be left behind. Only by moving together can we accomplish the revolution we require. I want to discuss a few of the 10 principles of disability justice individually. Again, what I will say here are my opinions and are expressions of what the Ten Principles of Disability Justice say to me. Intersectionality Intersectionality is a concept invented by Kimberly Crenshaw in 1989 to describe how race, sex, class, and other characteristics intersect with one another and overlap. For more than 20 years after Professor Crenshaw coined the term intersectionality, it remained an obscure term 
rarely heard beyond legal and philosophical discussions. Over the last decade, intersectionality has become a cultural and political lightning rod as some folks fight for more equity and others fight to maintain the status quo. But when you think about it, intersectionality makes sense. Everyone is a whole bunch of things. The more things any person has that are different from the traits of those with the most power, the more discrimination and oppression they will face. Yes, I suffer because of ableism as a person with a disability. But I know that women with disabilities face discrimination based on ableism and sexism. Black women with disabilities face discrimination based on ableism, sexism, and racism. Blind white men with disabilities who live in poverty suffer from ableism and classism. When I can't complete an online mortgage application because it's inaccessible, I'm being discriminated against because I'm disabled. But in the mortgage process, I'm advantaged because my legal education means I can understand all of the documents without needing a lawyer or a realtor to explain them to me. Sadly, the fact that I'm white means I'm more likely to get an adequate mortgage than are people of color with the same level of education and salary as I have. My lifelong membership in the middle class means I have the ability to get a mortgage when many cannot. The mortgage process, like everything else in life, leaves me sometimes being oppressed and other times privileges me. I go back and forth between oppressed and privileged because of the intersections that combine to make the whole person that is Jonathan Simeone. Leadership the principle of disability justice discussing the idea that people most impacted by discrimination should be leading efforts to reduce and end that discrimination is something I talk about all the time, but I have not yet on this podcast referred to that idea of us leading projects impacting us as a principle of disability justice. Still, the notion that we should decide what impacts us in our community is a principle that means a great deal to me and influences much of what I do. Capitalism. We hear the word capitalism every day. But we must use a standard definition of capitalism to better understand disability justice. For our purposes, capitalism is an economic system 
in which private individuals or businesses own capital goods. At the same time, business owners, capitalists, employ workers, labor, who only receive wages. Labor does not own the means of production but uses them on behalf of the owners of capital. In other words, the vast majority of people own little. The bulk of what they acquire depends on their ability to convince someone to hire them. If, for any reason, someone is either unable to produce for the capital class or the capital class wrongly believes they cannot produce, a person has very little opportunity to achieve. The economic model of disability, as we discussed in the episode on disability equity, reflects the true capitalism. Once someone is being paid to produce for the capitalist class, that person, no matter how much discrimination they face inside and outside of work, is no longer considered disabled. Look at the Social Security Supplemental Income, SSI. Even though people with disabilities are significantly more likely to be unemployed than people without disabilities, SSI provides far less on a monthly basis than what the federal government considers a poverty level existence because that person has never produced much, if anything, for the capital class. Let's also consider Social Security Disability Insurance, SSDI. If someone working becomes disabled, SSDI pays them only a percentage of their former salary. At a time when someone must face no longer being employed, learn how to adjust to having a disability, and try to accept being disabled, their ability to pay their bills is diminished because they are no longer producing for the capital class. In a just society, people whose disability-based discrimination has been a major contributor to why they have never worked much and why they may never work again, the federal government would not force them to survive on an amount it knows is far less than someone can actually use to survive. In a just society, people who lose their job because of a disability would not lose a large portion of their salary, too. Forcing people to live far below the poverty line, or forcing them to lose a large portion of their income because they are disabled, is simply immoral and unjust. Recognizing wholeness. 
The idea of recognizing each individual as the whole of who they are is hugely important and rarely happens. I have heard from people of color with disabilities that in disability spaces their race is not seen and that in racial spaces their disability is not seen. People should have all of their identities recognized, appreciated, and spoken to in all spaces. We are not inclusive if someone feels like they can't discuss a part of who they are in a group. Cross-disability solidarity. One of my biggest frustrations with the disability community is how rarely we act as a community. Instead of working together to make the systemic change we all need, groups representing different parts of our community almost never work together. Sure, what I need as a blind person is different than what someone who is deaf needs. But if we work for what each other needs, we are both more likely to get more than what we have now. Interdependence. Everyone needs help sometimes. Things would be much better if we all did more to help people in our communities. Whether we are talking about communities of disabled people or not. But things would really change if we worked more often to help those who are not part of communities of which we are members. For working together and helping each other is the best way to foster understanding. Collective liberation Often we hear about the relative size of the disability community. Typically, people say that up to 20% of the population is disabled. While there is truth to that, that truth fails to acknowledge the experiences of all disabled people are not nearly alike. My experiences as a person who was born blind are vastly different than are the experiences of someone who went blind recently in the middle of life. My experiences and those of someone who lost their sight recently in the middle of life are more similar than are our experiences with those of someone who is deaf. But in a country where all the blind and deaf people taken together constitute a fraction of the total population, we better care about each other's liberation. In order for us to be liberated, we better get much more support from way more people who aren't blind or deaf if we are ever going to be liberated. Simply put, we cannot be liberated through our efforts alone unless we work together and work with all people regardless of disability or disability status. 
our disabled community will never be liberated. If our disabled community is never liberated, those of us who are disabled will never be individually liberated. The key to our personal liberation and the liberation of our community is viewing our liberation through the lens of disability justice. I'm back now. That is uh, the end of the pre-recorded portion. So we'll take a minute and see if we have any questions or comments. I realize this material may be new to many folks. Um, the ideas are maybe a bit more edgy um, than uh, some folks may be used to. Um, and just to reiterate, uh, you know, all views are welcome here. Um, I'm very honest and open about these being my opinions, and folks are free to respectfully disagree, and uh, and we can have a discussion if um, people are up for that and want to do it. So, do we have any hands in Clubhouse and or Zoom? Uh, because uh, of the late start we had, that the next episode will be June 15th. Uh, or June 17th, excuse me, and we will probably be discussing the web content accessibility guidelines. Um, we will take a break in July because uh, Desiree and I are getting married on the 30th, and we will be uh, moving into a new home in the middle of July. Hello. So, and I believe we have a hand or, or a participant. Hi, I just got a text that said the host wanted me to speak. I didn't mean to cut over you. If you want to finish your... No, uh, no, no, that's fine. I'm, okay. That's fine. Um, I, I came on, I, I, like everybody else, had to get the different Zoom links. So I understand that we started a bit late. And I understand that this is essentially your personal manifesto. And I understand that there's probably good reason for you to state publicly what your position is on a lot of these wider ranging philosophical um, uh, thinking issues, which eventually do turn into practical day-to-day -day behavior. What I would ask us to do and to think about is uh, how we can use our um, interest in disability rights and personal rights um, to think about disability and um, personal rights and, and responsibilities in a very small-scale way as well as in these larger philosophical ways. So what I'm thinking is what is it in a day-to-day -day way that I am doing to support myself as a human being and a disabled human being. So am I saving money so that if I run into a personal emergency, I don't end up thinking that the government will rescue me or should rescue me or should be made to rescue me or whatever? Am I knowing how to do good budgeting? So there's a call coming up. Um, now a, a finance call right after this one That's and true. and we need as individuals to think about that we also we need do. as individuals yes. 
but we also need to think of why this is happening when well, someone is, is getting less than $800 a month. Now, if you think about why. It's not why, very easy to budget. No, it isn't um, easy to budget, that. but it is possible to do things in my personal life. And I was one of those people who grew up in the 70s when minimum wage was $2 an hour and there wasn't any SSDI or SSI so I under, or Medicaid much, which didn't come in until the mid-60s and was only instigated in its current form later. So these things exist. I'm not saying that there are larger there are larger social issues. I agree and there are plenty of of but, podcasts and things about yes. personal responsibility that no, is not the focus hang on, of hang this on. podcast yes but I didn't get to that what I'm thinking is that I have been on several of these podcasts or webinars or whatever you want to call them and what concerns me is that we need to get to actualities from theory so we can talk about this is this and this is this but I'm interested in, is this company being asked to respond correctly to the web accessibility guidelines? And if they're not, how can we go about in small ways doing structured negotiation or whatever it takes to get company ABC? With all, with all due respect, though, why when a law is more than three decades old? Why do we always have to go to people in small ways and ask because them small repeatedly ways, to follow the law? Because other than that, all we get to do is stand around and talk about how well, the law is three decades old and how it's okay, all but unfair. That's, all right. Well, we're going to disagree because that's not what I do. And I've covered on many episodes successes that I've had and ways to achieve things. Um, my approach doesn't work for everyone. I realize that. And, but, uh, this podcast is for that. There are other spaces where people can discuss personal responsibility and those kinds of things. This is not that space. Thank you. Do we have Hello, this is Sharon? Any... Um, yes. I was just asked to speak. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I was interested in what you were talking about uh, with the capitalism and wondering um, your feelings or opinions about universal basic income, um, because that seems to me as a possibility that would be very empowering to a lot of different people uh, and people with disabilities uh, not to have the hoops that you have to go through and the small amount of money that you get on SSI. Um, I know there's been some attempts to uh, try it in kind of small homogeneous yes. you know, countries. And uh, I, I just wonder if you see that as a possibility for our country. I think um, universal basic income has a lot of potential. I don't think there's... a you know, and again, all of this is my opinion. I don't think that is a chance um, in in this country anytime soon. But I think we do have to look at uh, why is the minimum wage unchanged since 2009? The um, federal minimum wage, yes. you mean? Yes, yes. It's ridiculous. And, yeah. and why is the Social Security cap of $2,000 of assets unchanged since 1972? Yeah. 
Um, so I think we, there are places that really have to be addressed. I mean, and that's the whole idea of like, you know, the system in my view is broken when the SSI limits haven't changed in two generations. What was the cost of a dollar in 1972? What is the cost of a dollar today? I mean, uh, it's categorically absurd. And it, in my view, it forces people to live in abject poverty. Right. Um, so my view is we need to start there. We need to address the SSI problems. Uh, we need to address the SSDI problems. We need to address minimum wage problems. Uh, and then, you know, at that point, but my view is this again, SSI, uh, at a minimum, would pay people whatever the minimum wage is. Uh, that's not a great living, but it should be SSI should be in minimum wage. Both should be tied to um, a cost of living index, the consumer price index, right. probably. Right. Uh, and that over time then, so those benefits programs and the minimum wage would then at least keep pace with inflation to a certain degree. But if you are a person on on SSI uh, with inflation the way it's been the last year and a half, uh, you are getting just crucified um, right. in your ability to pay your bills. And so I think we have to start with that kind of systemic stuff first Um because, I mean, it's tragic and sad that these things have not been updated since before many of us were born. Uh, it's, it's outrageous, really. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Mary. Um, yeah, I was just thinking about just one of those 10 principles, the interdependence thing. Um, I am a blind baby boomer. And when I was growing up, there was kind of a large cohort of us who were blind baby boomers born at more or less the same, within the same 15, 20 years, who either didn't have other disabilities or didn't acknowledge them one or the other. And mm -hmm. we put a lot of our effort into independence, not interdependence. And I mean, we did gain some things from it like we have a special earnings limitation with ssdi talking right but it also i mean so i'm not going to say that we didn't benefit from it but i think in the long run though to stay with that model instead of going with interdependence is going to weaken us in the long run it's very isolating we have had i mean the pandemic alone should have taught us that something you know, and the reason that we did it, too, was because there's been so much just severe stigma attached to blindness. Absolutely. That, that you yeah. know, when I think about me and my, uh, I let my mother-in-law in the kitchen with me, but I did not ever let my own mother in the kitchen with me <laughs> once Once I had a, either a knife or had the fire on. You know, <laughs> we could bake bread, we could knead bread together, but, you know, so it, mm -hmm. it was a lot of stigma, but I still think that it's time for us you know, I was in that other organization. I think mm -hmm. it's time for us to switch to the interdependence model. I think we're going to And I don't think that it has to be mutually exclusive either, right? Like independence is a really good thing. The ability to be able to do things when you can for yourself 
yeah. is a good thing. It's empowering. I'm just saying but for emphasis. Yeah, absolutely. But the truth but of the matter is, we have not paid is, enough attention to it. No, and no, and and I think that the truth is in the pudding, right? Like the reason these programs haven't been updated in more than fifty years now is because there's not enough people calling for them to be updated. The reason the right. ADA doesn't include things in a real tangible way, like web accessibility and things, is because there aren't more people calling for that. But if we want other people to help us and call for those things, then we have to be willing to work for, with them, too. We might even um, and, have to and work that's, with them on things that won't benefit us directly. Well, or or we we also have to recognize the intersectionality, right? Like there mm -hmm. are folks who are blind who also use mobility devices, and so uh, they would benefit, yep. for example, from more accessible housing stocks uh, and things that may not affect me as a blind person. I think I should work for that because it benefits other people in our community. It makes us a better society, right? And so I think interdependence is, is uh, and it's also true, right? It's just fundamentally true. Every person in life needs help. That's the truth. Um, there's nothing wrong with needing help. It's, it's a part of the human experience. Just as needing help, so is giving help. And... I think we do need to get in touch with those things in a more in a more meaningful way. I think our advocacy efforts would have more success if we asked others to help us and we help others with their advocacy efforts as well. Well, yeah, thanks. That's pretty much where I was going. I wasn't saying people don't need to try to be independent. Yeah, I know, I know. Life. I'm just I was just yes. saying that we took we took it to a societal level and maybe it's time to drop that. Oh, yeah. And I agree. I just wanted to make sure that everybody listening understood. Yeah. The, well, yeah. But I, I, I appreciate. This. Thank you. And I respect what you're saying. Thank you. Uh, do we have other hands in Zoom or Clubhouse? As a matter of fact, we definitely do in Zoom. We have three, as a matter of fact. And Deanna, you may speak. <laughs> oh, thank you, Herbie. Um. Growing up as a Native American, we have a different concept of family, community, society than is commonly held in the West. And historically, we accepted people who were what we called two-spirit people, people that may have been born in one body but had the, the, the soul or the spirit of the other gender. And we didn't isolate them or stigmatize them. We just accepted that the great creator had made this thir third kind of person. And they should be accepted because they brought a different kind of wisdom into the society. And all of the people in the society, whether they were a child or an elder, deserved respect and consideration and had value. And so I really didn't understand why some people looked at people with disabilities differently. And then I realized that some of us did the same things because I was gifted 
with excellent coordination, balance, um, sense of myself within my skin and my relationship to the environment around me. And I was surprised when I ran across children or teens or even adults who didn't have those skills. And sometimes it was because they were overprotected and not allowed to grow and be and move and experience when they were young. But, you know, sometimes it was other disabilities, like a learning disability. Um, there was some evidence that um, some children are born with a lack of sense of direction, whether or not they can see, um, <laughs> you know, yes. dyslexia, brain function, all of these yeah. things We're can contribute different. to making yeah. a person have a harder time doing this, this blindness gig, <laughs> if you will. And mm-hmm. so if we don't respect honor and care for each other, whether we're old or young, whether we're terribly bright or struggle to master simple tasks, how can we ever build the kind of society where everyone is allowed to share their gifts and make the society stronger? I completely agree. And I think, you know, the reason why I think these the principles of disability justice are so important. And truthfully, the reason I focus so much on capitalism in this is because in our society, the number one ethos is your quote unquote productivity, which is defined as how much money you make typically for other people. And yet gifts come in all shapes and sizes. Exactly. And there are People that yes. make the light go, the work go lighter because uh, of their yes. humor or their ability yes. to sing or whatever right. it is. Everyone has gifts and can, can contribute to making yes. the society. But the, but the amount good of benefit, thing. yes, but the amount of benefit one gets is almost always tied to how much revenue they earn for other people. And that's, that's where, th- why things aren't valued. You know, that's why when, if someone's gifts are not that, um, they wind up living in poverty. They wind up on SSI. Or if they get hurt at work, they wind up getting a fraction of their salary. And and so, it, you know, it, it's true that we, if we had a more humanitarian approach to people, if we respected all that is individuals, um, we would have programs that respected those people, that respected those gifts, uh, and honored different contributions to society. I mean, I mean, you know, we all talk about this at length, but why is it that you know, teachers make so little money? Why is it that social workers make so little money? I used to get angry when I was a child when my brother could spend half an hour mowing a lawn and get five bucks and I got yeah. 50 cents an hour for taking care of their children. Exactly. And I would look at it and go, what's more important, your grass yes. or your child? <laughs> yes. And some of that is definitely classism and some of that is definitely sexism. You know, that's where the intersections come into play, Right. Like the yeah. jobs that are stereotypically, I want to be very careful about how I say things, the jobs that are stereotypically held by women are often paid less, which even though in my view, they're more important, 
um, the work that child care people do is way more valuable to society than the work uh, bankers do. But bankers make 10 times or more what child care workers make. And pay less in taxes. <laughs> and pay less in taxes. So there's a disconnect, a serious disconnect, um, you know, between how a just society would function and how this society functions. But I, I really appreciate your comments, Deanna. Thank you very much. So I'm, we're kind of a little bit off timing wise. I will say that we have approximately 10 minutes left, maybe like 12. Um, so I do apologize. Yeah. No, we're, we're all, yeah. So we, I guess we'll take, we'll, let's, we'll just get through as many as yep. we can. All right, Kobe, you are up next. Hi, <clears throat> I am a white baby boomer with Usher syndrome, and I've worked as an occupational therapist my whole career. And I really liked your comment about intersectionality. I mean, I've liked several things you've said today, and uh, the speakers have been quite, um, uh, well, better spoken than I am. At any rate, when you talked about the people of color or the African-American woman or man who isn't seen by the, the sighted folks. Anyway, that whole thing about that was so informative to me. I've not heard that of being privileged and disabled and then flip it the other way. And well, that's done. What make, well done. Thank you. I appreciate that. And that's what makes this stuff so important to me that's why i care about it um and i'll be honest i was a little nervous about bringing it to a group as you know as wide as this Mm -hmm. Um, but i think it's important because i think these are concepts that you know it is important to if you're going to acknowledge your discrimination you also have to acknowledge your privilege uh and i think it's really important to and to acknowledge that there are people who are more pressed than you are. Yeah. Um, because that's how you understand the humanitarian aspect of it. That's how you get yeah. closer to identifying with mm. other people, you know, who that you can't really uh, empathize with because you don't live their life. You know, I, I'm, yeah. I'm not a person of color. I'm a white man. So I can't empathize with that. But I, if I understand that it's oppressive, I can sympathize. And I right. can have a humanitarian approach uh, to how that must be and what we can do to fix it. And, of course, I can admit that that person knows more to, than me about the oppression they face. And I can listen to what they say they need to address the oppression that they face. Right. But thank, thank you for your comments. Okay, who's next, Herbie? All right, we actually do not have anybody else as uh, we the other person that had their hand raised decided to leave. So we'll just give it another minute or two, and if uh, nobody raises a hand, uh, then we'll call it a day. I do want to thank everybody for coming. I do want to thank everybody. Uh, for listening. Um, I look forward, if you have any comments and or questions, you can reach me at jonathan at demandouraccess.com. 
You can also go to the Demand Hour Access website uh, and you can fill out the contact form if that's easier for you. I do respond to those. Um, and uh, sometime this weekend, I will post the pre-recorded portion of this to the website. And I will also post the text that will have some links to some of the resources mentioned here. So if that's information people want, that will be posted. Um, so, and I, and I guess we'll ask one more time if we have any questions or comments. And uh, nope, we do not have any more raised hands. Okay. So I guess we will call it a day. Thank you, Herbie. Thank you, Brad. Uh, and we will see everybody on uh, June 17th in two weeks at 2 p.m. Eastern. Have a nice day.